depression in many cases is anger turned inwardly or guilt turned inwardly. So you're having an internal conversation and you're telling yourself, yourself stuff that's wrong because no matter what you went through, you got through it, but you see yourself as lacking something at a deficit or you won't be understood or accepted. I tell people when I talk to them, there's nothing you can tell me about what you went through to make me care about you less or, or condescend or look at you in a lesser uh, of fashion. So I'm saying, why are you saying that to yourself? So a lot of times what you're doing and what I'm trying to do is give people, I tell people, I put it this way, in life, you can't address what you have acknowledged. Dory one, this is Fireteam Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back to episode 68 of Military Veteran Dad. If you are just tuning in, this is the podcast where we talk about life, we talk about marriage, we talk about kids, we talk about inner work, we talk about PTSD, we talk about that challenge that it is to come back to your family. We talk about the challenges emotionally of what it takes to connect with your kids. We talk about the things your kids need when they grow up. We talk about the legacy that you have, the ability to leave as a strong father. And when you step into your role fully as a father, when you come home fully in your marriage, in your family, amazing things will happen. Right now, in the moment we're recording this, we are still in the coronavirus, and this is one of the best opportunities to come home. I don't know of a better time than the one that we're going through right now than to Reconnect with your kids in a way that you never have to do the things that your kids have always wanted. Maybe it's a treehouse in the backyard that your kids have always wanted. Whatever that always wanted is, try to make those things come true. And it can be so simple sometimes. Let your kids find out. Ask your kids, what is it that you are wanting to do? And then just do it. Let this be that time where you reconnect with your family and you grow through it, which is the only way to grow go through the coronavirus, which is to grow through it. And when you're growing through it, you are transforming on the inside and on the outside. And if you've just started listening to this podcast or whether you've been a long time listener, you know that we talk about that weekly. And that topic is near and dear to my heart as I've come on a long journey over the last five years, and I'm excited to bring you guys along with it. So today we have Anthony Brinkley. Prior to him starting his own company, he was the Command Chief Master Sergeant of the 11th Wing of Joint Base Andrews in Maryland. He served as a Principal Advisor to the Commander on all enlisted issues and was responsible for all personnel, logistics, and workforce development matters. During his military career, Anthony Brinkley obtained Chief Master Sergeant Distinction, a leadership position achieved by only 1% of the enlisted Air Force. With 28 years of military service, Anthony has also dedicated countless hours to helping those most disenfranchised. His assistance ranges from counseling local young men on the challenges of life to organizing clothing drives for orphans living in other countries. Anthony provides executive coaching for people across the spectrums of society and industries. For his tremendous dedication to the Tampa, Florida local community, Anthony is a recipient of the 2003 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. 
humanitarian award. This man is top-notch, and we go into some top-notch areas, digging into the emotions, the feelings, the, the things that you don't talk about at dinner parties. And we talk about those things in a way that how they can empower you forward, not necessarily how you can let them go and leave them behind, but how can you take this stuff, the stuff that you're feeling inside, and move forward with it. Another little treat with this episode is you get the little experience with like recording a podcast episode is like with your kids in the background. So this podcast has a little bit different audio quality and I apologize for that than most normal episodes. And towards the end, you get to see a few interruptions because the kids really wanted dad's attention. And I left it in there for the sake that when it's a dad podcast, sometimes a little reality check within what life is like being a dad and having a podcast is good. So without further ado, let's get right into Anthony Brinkley with today's episode. And I'll talk to you again on Friday. Hello, Anthony. Welcome to the show. It's real. It's a real honor to be here. I really appreciate you allowing me to connect with you on this level. I always like when people come outside my circle because I get to learn about different people and different perspectives that weren't in my influence. And just to get to understand another human being that's in a different world that I wasn't originally connected with. And I always like having that connection, especially in podcasts, because it's the first time sometimes where we're getting to know each other. And that's the best time to really get to know someone where you're having a conversation about life and all the different things that happen. So Anthony, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and what's your background and what you do today for people. Well, the short version is um, I grew up in a place called Stanford, Connecticut. And around the age of 17, I signed up to go in the Air Force. Subsequent to that, I did 28 years. I moved 14 times, and that doesn't even count training or temporary duties. So I uh, saw a little bit of combat in Desert Storm, Desert Shield, and some other things. Um, went a couple places, and I learned a lot in the military. Met some dynamic people that opened my eyes to different ways of looking at life, such as yourself. And when I finished after 28 years, I was a first sergeant for a long time, for 12 years. My last six years, I was a command chief master sergeant over Andrews Air Force Base, Kunsan Air Base Korea, and Little Rock Air, Air, Air Force Base in Arkansas. So over the course of my career, I had the privilege of leading over 100,000 people, but I knew it was time to do something else. So when I retired in 2012, I wanted to serve my community in a different capacity. So I started a company called uh, On the Brink Affirmation Services. And basically what we do is resilience training. We do leadership development. We do a lot with crisis management, stress management. And one of the big things that's kind of taken hold now is the resilience piece and the crisis management piece because of all the things that's taken place now. So people have been kind of seeking me out. Because I've sat on um, uh, crisis, critical incident response teams. And as a first sergeant, I was a first responder to a lot of different things, whether domestic violence or someone lost a child or even good things that happened. So again, now that I'm doing all this um, and I've written a couple of books that deal with kind of helping yourself, self-care and things of that nature. And now with all of this is going on now, I'm just looking for an opportunity to continue to help people help themselves and just take a breath because we will get through this. And uh, again, I'm honored to be able to talk to you for a little while on your, on your podcast. Thank you. I appreciate that background. One thing that uh, the first word that hit me, you, you mentioned dynamic, and that's one word that uh, really hit me in a way that but people don't often honor about their military experience is the actual depth of the world that they actually get to the, 
the dynamic of working with a melting pot of people and learning how to complete a mission. And I've heard it said that like military veterans are actually perfectly set up to deliver the connection and the solutions to bring our country back together because we are designed and we were in an environment to work with different people that we didn't understand and still get through and complete the mission. And a lot of what we see in new society today is not being able to complete the mission, not being able to just civilians, just we, they don't understand each other and they'll push each other apart instead of trying to figure out how they can come together. But military veterans have that perfect view to how we can step into a space, be the leader and help drive a forcing change. I was wondering if there was a story that you could share that was maybe impactful that offered something, someone who came into your life, offered a perspective that you ran on, still probably run on today? Well, you know, let me just start by saying this. You, you hit it on the head. We have national policies that we look at as far as engaging with other countries and cultures, but really in most cases, our national policies are theoretical. Where policies are really implemented is when the people are on the ground and engaging with people such as our military veterans. We send them in environments that they haven't even been to before. And then in real time, they have to employ empathy. They have to employ flexibility. It's so many things that they have to do in real time. For me, uh, I guess what, what opened my eyes was, I'll go back to my first assignment in 1984, Clark Air Base, the Republic of the Philippines. I had never been outside of the United States of America. And then I go to the Philippines and I had perception of people that I had met. But when I, got, when I got to the Philippines, I was actually embraced by the folks of that, that, that culture. I learned a lot more about compassion. I learned a lot more about giving because I realized maybe I wasn't as giving as I thought. I was kind of a selfish individual, to be quite honest with you. So what I learned from the, the culture of the people of the Philippines was that it's not about what you have. It's about sharing what you have. And what, where I translated that was maybe because of how I grew up and what I was exposed to, I looked at different cultures within America out of ignorance, or sometimes I was nervous or I was apprehensive. So I stayed away from stuff I didn't understand. And just being in the Philippines and learning the mission, flying the F-4s and different types of airframes that we had and engaging with the Filipinos in a partnership and a coalition, it helped me understand that. You know, what we might go through in life, it may be bigger than me and it may be bigger than you, but it's not bigger than me and So it's about coming together. It's about cohesion. And it's about not even judging, but trying to understand why people see things through the lenses as the way that they do. So that, that, that thing about human nature was something that I took over the course of my life to help people that we would inject into our military and allow them to become a part of a cohesive team versus just being on the team. I like that. And uh, I've been to Clark Air Force Base as well. And you don't understand poverty until you've been to the Philippines, until you're, until you're driving down the street and kids are urinating in, in the street. And like the houses have just metal roofs on them. And that touches you in a way that you really never fully understand until you start growing up later in life. But Man, I, I also hardly agree that that, uh, that view of, of understanding. And, and Philippines, they don't necessarily see it as a negative. They just see it as their way of life. But they do, it doesn't stop them from showing up into people's lives and being kind and helpful. And you don't get the feeling like they're unhappy. They, ha they think that they have everything that they need. And I really love that story because it, I've been there and I can 
attest to that connection to the, the Philippines and what they did for me as well. So you were on Clark Air Force Base when it was still a Clark Air Force Base, right? Absolutely. I was actually there in 1984 and 1985. I was there for 18 months. I was actually supposed to go back, and then Mount Pinatubo erupted, and then that that changed everything. But the, the beauty, back to your point, is, you know, people, again, at the core of who we are, it's how we connect it's not what you give someone it's what you deposit in them and for me even over, over the course of this conversation when you and I were talking before we went on I, I could I could hear your sincerity and I, I could tell that you care about what's going on during this time in our country and this voice is like yours it's gonna really gonna it's gonna be that calming influence because people are like what am I gonna do and, and like you said earlier before we got on on to record this is a time to really reflect on what's important. What do you need? What do you value? And how do you extend that to other people? So again, I know I've kind of shifted a little bit, but I just want to tell you what you're doing right now is invaluable. It's even more invaluable now because people are now in a circumstance where they can't get around as much. So they're looking for sources of information, comfort, guidance, reflection, and you're providing that. And I couldn't, I couldn't thank you more for what you do, especially from a veteran-centric standpoint, because veterans are the one, when you talk about introducing a concept, a policy, a procedure, it typically starts with our veterans, and then it permeates throughout our country. Mm-hmm. A veteran almost, you find a veteran that buys into the policy or whatever you're trying to change, and they become the driving force within that. There's so many different movements that veterans have just taken on and been the leader on. And it's, it's a lot of that just because of what we've seen that veterans can resonate with a lot of what we're trying, what maybe people in Washington are trying to do. And then they can just see the mountain already and see how they can tackle it and get it done versus all the obstacles, excuses and everything. And at the time of this recording, we're going through the coronavirus crisis. And so a lot of what Anthony's talking about is just our ability to recognize that we're all human beings at the end of the day and that kindness will prevail and just showing love and appreciation for other people, whether it be the people at the grocery store, all of these people are doing everything they can. And a military veteran has that view that a lot of people in our service life were always doing everything they could. And we have a, a deeper sense of appreciation for the average person just doing what they need to get done because it took every person in the military unit to do just that average thing to accomplish a mission. I couldn't agree more. And, and I th- think to your point, when you when you go in, I, I think I remember when we would we would deploy or go places. One of the first things they would tell us is when you when you start to pack your bag, the first thing I want you to put, put in your bag is patience and patience. I tell people my simple definition of patience is to endure hardship without complaining. If you're complaining, you're not exhibiting patience. You know, why do I have to do this? Well, you should be happy that you have a job. Why is this going on? Well, you should be happy that you have the ability to be in the middle of something. So if you're complaining, it may be that you don't you haven't learned enough about patience. And also when you're when you're complaining, you're not even showing appreciation. I mean, think about what you're able to do right now in your condition. You're able to take care of your children. Yeah, you're making adjustments in your home, but you have a home, you have a roof, you have the internet right now that you're able to provide a platform. You're not doing this to become famous or get great acclaim. You're doing this because there's a passion inside of you. And you have that key that can unlock what somebody needs, that one data point that can say, hey, 
things aren't as bad as I, as I seem. Or, hey, I didn't know that I had this resource available to me. And, and again, that's what we have to do. We have to do that. And when you're patient, you're actually, you have a level of appreciation. So you have an optimism. You have an inquisitive nature about what can I do to affect this? How can I make a decision? What parts of this can I control? What part can I influence? And those other parts, I don't dwell on because I don't have the ability to impact it. And so for me, right now is our chance to kind of speak and remind those who have been adaptable, who have been agile in the military and beyond to use that agility and, and the ability to be adaptable to make this part of their transition in life even better. I like that. And as we enter the patients, there's something else that gets a lot of people out there. And I think the longer we've been out of the military, the more we forget what we had which was resilience, which is something that you mentioned on. So I'd ask maybe if you could speak, what is your method or what is your teachings or what is your just general view on resilience and how people implement it in their life? So first of all, I think that, that people look at resilience like it's, it's an event. Like, oh my God, that team was losing by this amount of points and they were resilient and they came back. Or, or somebody, they were running in a race and they twisted their ankle and they finished the race. Resilience is an event is not an event. It shows up during an event, but resilience is actually a mindset that you actually in, that you put inside of yourself, you conceptualize. Resilience is a uh, person's ability to acknowledge, withstand, and recover from something that takes place in their life. But, but recovery is just part of it because once you recover, we always use the term like they bounce back. Well, it, in a resilient mindset, it's not about bouncing back as much because if you bounce back, you just end up where you started. Resilience is about learning what you went through, extracting that's embedded in those challenging times so you can actually bounce forward. Because if you just bounce back to where you were, the next time something similar comes back to you, you may have a similar response because you haven't applied the learning. So what we do different in resilience training is, to me, my friend, there's, we don't need one more piece of information to be successful in life. We have access. You can pull out your phone and you have access to almost any relevant piece of information in the world. We don't have an information situation. We don't have an information problem. We have an application problem. What we teach in resilience is that you take what you know and apply what you know and make it actionable. I have a simple equation. It goes like this. Information minus application simply means you've been informed. Information minus application equals informed. Information plus application equals transform. What we teach, what you and I are conversing about right now is how do you apply what you know? How do you take control of what you know? How do you incorporate those elements of resilience through self-awareness, through access to information, through reflection, through introspection, and ultimately correction to change lives? And that's what we teach people in resilience is to own your stuff, acknowledge your stuff, and act on your stuff. I, I like that. I've never heard that equation before, but I, I really like it. And I, there's one component within that. Uh, I don't know how you figure out to add the letter to it, but I, when I go to conferences, it's almost blatantly apparent. And as a speaker, I'm sure you see it, that in 2020, you can Google pretty much everything you need to know but you can't always Google who you need to know in 2020. You can spend an entire year Googling and never find the one person that you'd run into at a conference that you're supposed to have been friends with for the last five years. And at that, the people aspect is almost when you, when you start taking the information plus applying it, 
it's almost like it's like AP, it's like A and then P is squared because the power of people, when you apply it, like if you have a, a stronger network around you, it doesn't just multiply, it's exponential. Like you can, you're only one conversation away from going one to 200 if you have the right exponential factor applied to your equation. I, I couldn't agree with what you said more. And again, when, when, you, when you start to apply, the, the thing about the equation is when you start to apply stuff, you're going to start, it's going to change your filter and how you engage with people because you're going to look at people coming at you saying, they're going to continue to regurgitate the issue, the problem, the circumstance, but they're not doing anything about it. So then you have a choice to say, is this a, is this a redemptive relationship or affiliation that I have? Because some people, they just want to bring garbage and dump it in it. But if you have a garbage garbage receptacle, metaphorically, then people are going to come dump on you. So when I have conversations with people like that, I say, listen, what do you think you can do about that? And if all they want to do after a few discussions is to keep talking about it, then I know that they've made their mind up that they don't want to apply what they know. They just want to be co-signed in that mindset that they have. And so for you, like you said, in brief conversations in, in an engagement like a conference, you will realize the kind of people who are trying to be progressive in what they're doing, the kind of people who are just trying to get comfortable in where they are. And if you and, and when you're looking for the application, you're really looking for people that are app applying the information on a level that they've never seen before. I like what you said there about connecting with the right people, because often what I say is like, you need to identify the cows in your life that are grazing on other people's happiness. And you need to get rid of those cows because they're just going to, every time you create more happiness, they're just going to graze on it and they feed off it. And I've always loved the quote from Zig Ziglar that says that you, uh, that sometimes the only case of success that other people get is when they take a bite out of yours. And the mindset wow. is often you need to, it's really powerful. So one of the things that, um, you know, as we were talking, I didn't really hit this earlier, but when I got out of the military, I travel around a lot. And, you know, we talk about emotional anxiety and I actually teach this to veterans, uh, the corporate America, to former a lot of uh, former NFL players. I do a little executive coaching. And I say that to say this, in this time of, of you know, the people are going through increased stress and, and, and being in more close proximity and, and all this thing where they talk about social distancing, there's some things that we really need to consider. And a lot of times, a lot of us don't even know how to de-escalate. For example, when, when something happens, or we have un, you know unexpected interruption. The first thing that I tell people to do is take a breath. Because when you take a breath, the first thing you do, you actually give oxygen to your frontal lobe, you know, so as far as your brain goes, which gives you the ability to process information. And when you do that, you have, you have the ability to actually exercise more empathy and understanding. And I also tell people too that, you know, we, we might go through little things, but understand what people are valuing. So say we get this interruption, our kid comes running in or our spouse comes running in. They want something at that time. So sometimes if they haven't developed that, that, that level of, of patience that we have, then we figure out what they value. But if, sometimes our words can get in the way and how we convey those words, not the words themselves, but the energy, because we didn't take a breath. We didn't talk in compassion or we talked to someone. Excuse me. We talked at someone versus talking to someone. So, you know, you and I have been, you know, we've gone through a couple of things just in the midst of this interview. And we've actually, we've actually, you know, demonstrated in real time how to deal with something to keep moving. And that's what we need to continue to teach people is 
you know, crisis management is this. I'll make this point real quick. It's not the it's not the scheduled test that gets you in life because you know it's coming. It's your ability to handle the pop quizzes. Pop quizzes determine your ability, your preparation. And what most people, when you when you start, say we use the metaphor of going to school, the first day of class, a teacher gives you a syllabus and it tells you what to expect that you're gonna have to go through over the course of instruction during that period of time. But some of us look at a syllabus like it's recommended reading. Well, if you look at it like recommended reading, when you come to class one day and they tell you to put your books down, there's a pop quiz, you're going to be unprepared for the pop quiz. So what I try to teach people as we talk about this now is what are those things that you know that you're going to have to be prepared for, but since you don't see it on the schedule, you haven't prepared for it. So just prepare for the pop quiz. And when you do it, when it comes up unexpectedly, you're going to actually pass a flying coach. I like that. And it, that's the part that a lot of Americans don't really acknowledge that life, it's something they experience regularly, pop quizzes, but they don't ever really acknowledge how they can actually prepare for that pop quiz and right. be, be ready for it. And uh, even just through this coronavirus, um, my wife's a teacher, so her life's being turned upside down more as well. And she was having a lot of anxiety related to this. And I was just thinking, I was like, you only have one thing you can do. Like this whole thing is a pop quiz, but at the same time, like you just do what they tell you. You don't have to worry about a bunch of different stuff. You, they're going to tell you exactly what they need you to do. And then you just do it. There's no, I mean, it is that simple, but at the same time, there is that much anxiety because it's a lot of, it's lack of control, but I'm like, you, there's no need to control. You just need to go do what they want you to do. And then we wait it out together. And that's often just recognizing all you need to do is that rec that next right thing or keep doing that action that you're doing. That's how you prepare for the pop quizzes versus like waiting for it to happen. And you're like, or the pop quiz money wise, that, that one always gets people like, Oh, I had a flat tire. I don't have 500 bucks or I, the coronavirus hits and I don't have an extra paycheck to get through while maybe I'm not getting paid by my employer those pop quizzes are almost a certainty, but people just kind of pretend that they're not going to happen and that they'll always have more time, which is something we we're also talking about before we hit record that people live their life with this idea that there's always tomorrow and that whatever mistake I made today, I can fix tomorrow, which is true. But at the same time, when you do it with money, you eventually get to a point where you're borrowing so much from the future that you end up bankrupting it. And it's the same thing. I, I speak on this a lot with marriages and, and deployments that when you travel your time away from your family is like a credit card you're borrowing time from your family so when you come home you need to pay back that that loan with interest and make sure that it's the, the credit card's back to zero by the time you go on another deployment like you can't just keep borrowing time from your family and as a military man because that credit card will eventually go bankrupt yeah and to your point you know let's let's circle back a little bit on the part where we talk about the families where People are having to make adjustments or, you know, we're now a lot, a lot more nuclear because we can't get around. I tell this to people with children and things of that nature. What you really want to do, in my opinion, is give everyone an assignment. You almost have a huddle. It's like, All right, let's, let's get together as a family. Okay, we about, we're going to draw this play up to execute as a team. And we can't, we can't be successful unless everybody plays their role. And what you do is you give everyone a role. And, and what's associated with each person's role, whether it's you do your chores or you clean the house or we come together and we study certain things. And once we complete that, we can actually be rewarded in a good way 
based on how we completed those roles. I like what you said there with bringing all that together and recognizing that uh, how we just connect with just the basics and that family huddle, that all of that is something I've heard it said is like team meetings. I've heard it as front end loading on Sunday nights for the week. And it, it's amazing, especially when you have a podcast where you're interviewing other guests of how many problems almost routinely all come back to communication. And even in this coronavirus, there's communication that isn't always the best. And even in the military, if we use a military analogy, a lot of battles are lost and, and we lose because the communication fell apart on the ground. We didn't get the resources in the right place. And that word communication is probably like within the context of like humanity and what's what needed for communication is probably like the most loaded word that I can think of because it's a word tied to so many avenues, so many levels, so many different things as it relates to just having a connection with your spouse, with your kids. Communication is the, the language of leadership, which is a friend that always says, and you can't be a leader if you can't communicate, but so much comes back to communication. So I really like what you said there. Well, I think this is a real opportunity. I think voices and platforms like yours are going to be vital. And that's why, and I, and I think as you look at anticipating, see, when we come out of this circumstance, there are going to be, we're going to, re, we're going to reverse engineer what happened. We're going to look at what we did right, what we did wrong. And there are some voices out there that are in positions that have prominence, but they're not really speaking the right things. And then there's some voices out there that might, you may not have heard of, or a lot of people haven't heard of, but they're speaking the right thing. I think there's going to be a shifting because people are emerging as the voices and the platforms that we need. I see you as one of those voices because you're hitting people where they live and people live in their emotions. And I tell people, as, even as we talk about resilience, feelings in most cases are incomplete pieces of information. You get a feeling and you say, oh man, I feel frustrated, I feel angry. But if you respond to that feeling without unpacking it, you may respond in an inappropriate way. So we tell people, Hey, examine that thing that you're feeling. You can't stop a feeling. It's like the waves of the ocean. You can't stop the tide from coming in, but you can choose which wave that you're going to surf on. So as we look at people trying to understand and communicate effectively, we first have to teach them to acknowledge their feelings. Feelings are neutral. They're not good. They're not bad. They just are. It's how you process feelings. It's how you deal with feelings. It's how that you apply your feelings that will determine how successful you are in life, how successful you are in community, how quickly you will restore yourself to, to your, the position that you're supposed to be in. And that's what we have to do. When people become frustrated, why are you frustrated? Because you didn't get this. I'm not saying you're not going to get this. You just can't get this now because we're doing this. So you have to let people, children, young people, old people, all of us understand what they're feeling, unpack it, and then explain why we have to do things the way we do. I think there's a, there's a, a lesson I learned from Tony Robbins that adds one layer to that, that, that however you feel about an emotion is just your brain interpretation from the past. Like your brain only understands what life has happened for you. And everything you feel is always through the lens of what the past has, previous emotions have been interpreted and previous events and how you felt in those particular cases. So a particular emotion almost has a default value that's assigned to it of how you react. But that default value is based on just the previous 
life experiences that are related to that same moment, whether it be for me, like bullying in high school, there's a lot of things even today, being 35, that are triggered to a default value of how I felt that very first time that it happened. And if you don't really unpack that emotion all the way back to maybe that first time, you're not going to understand how that different emotion overall goes through and changes it. Hang on. So Ben, I'm going to say something to you because you just hit something I think is so amazingly significant that most people don't even talk about. You were talking about how people process feelings and most of our feelings, how we react to something is based on our past experiences. So when I talk to people, I tell them, first of all, that you're, you're not really, your brain's not fully developed till you're around the age of 25. Yet, your orientation to the world, how you see things, people are good, people are bad, I can trust people, I can't trust people, I'm going to do it on my own, I'm going to seek help. All, a lot of those things are typically developed around the age of five. But, if, but so when children are small, like the age of your children, they have about 100% capacity to take in information. They stare. They're not self-aware. They just look at everything. They don't get caught up in other things. They can just totally be fixated. What they have a limited ability in is to interpret the information. So if we don't help them interpret what they're doing, their defaults to life or their triggering mechanisms can be put in a negative sense. But if we help them understand what they saw, what they experienced, that's why it's even important when we talk about veterans who've experienced something that's negative or, or experienced something in life. It could be a car accident. It don't have to be something about combat. Those things connect to our, our receptors, and then we apply a meaning to what we saw. And if we never take a person back to examine what happened, then going forward, they can change their orientation to the world of information. So what you said a few minutes ago was so it, it, it was so insightful because our job is those of us to understand feelings and emotions and why we suffer with panic attacks or why these, these crises cause enhanced anxiety may be associated with something that we experienced a long time ago. And we helped them unpack that. We said, look, you got through that thing. The thing that's even bothering you, you actually overcame it and you learned from it. So don't keep rehearsing the victimization, rehearse the things that made you a victor, not the victim. That is pretty much the cherry on top to what we were talking about there. And I think, and especially when it comes to like PTSD or any type of trauma that veterans, there's so much stigma around it that veterans don't even pull back the surface layer of whatever it is, let alone go 10, 15, 50 layers deep into whatever that feeling or whatever that, that trauma really is. But the hard part that I think it makes it hard for veterans in the PTSD is there isn't a safe place for people to talk about their emotions, which is one thing that this podcast is pretty much a beacon of. of I'm a guy that admits regularly that I cry openly from Disney movies for any happy ending. And this is a safe place where I talk about emotions almost weekly on whatever interview show that I'm, I'm, I'm doing that week. And those emotions aren't something that is a safe place in the veteran community, which is why the VA even struggles to get people to go to see therapists because there's a stigma that I don't have a problem. I just need to deal with it. But emotions aren't meant to be suppressed. They're meant to be indicators of doing something of taking an action even or doing something different, taking a different path in life. And if you don't unpack those emotions, like you saying, then none of that ever really happens. So, Ben, let me toss something to you. 
that I teach in my training. I teach that half of learning is learning. The other half of learning is unlearning. Your children, when they go to school, every first grader in America knows this statement I'm about to tell you. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Words have started wars, disintegrated families, changed how people see themselves intellectually. But every first grader in America knows sticks and stones may break my bones, but words never hurt me. A little boy falls down, it hurts his knee, he's five years old. We tell that boy, don't cry, because men don't cry. First of all, he's not a man. Second of all, you have, you have tear ducts, meaning you're gonna cry sometimes, as you just illuminated. They could be tears of joy. They could be tears of happiness. They could be tears of sadness. But tears are a part of life. But but Ben, one of the things we taught people. Okay, so so here's what I'm saying. We we've taught people a lot of stuff that's wrong. We've taught a lot of people in a hyper masculine community, such as the military. Not to say that you know we don't have. Other, I mean, we have women in there, so I'm not saying anything against women. I'm just saying this culture that's hyper masculine or based on male male connotations of how we conduct ourselves. We tell people that you can't be safe or you can't show emotions or showing emotions is a sign of weakness. Showing emotions is actually a sign of being self-evolved. It's a sign of strength. So what we have to do when we teach people in forums like this or what I teach through my resilience training is we tell people to go back and, and explore what you've been taught is wrong. A kid is chewing gum in school and a teacher doesn't want the child to chew gum. And the teacher says, if you swallow that gum, it takes seven years for that piece of gum to digest in your system, which we know is not true. But we tell people stuff that's wrong. So what I would say to you in the platform that you have is, let's examine what we've been taught culturally, institutionally, organizationally, through our families, what's wrong. And some of the people that taught us, they weren't trying to teach us wrong. They just kept replicating what they've been taught. So we have to examine, like, for example, I'll I'll tell you a quick thing about me. When I was six, five years old, I was extracted from my home. I was going through chemotherapy for six months. I had anxiety issues. I had abandonment issues. I was angry. And, I, and because the hospital was so far away from where I lived, I didn't hardly get to see my family. So I was an angry young man. And then in the first grade, I saw a child get killed in front of me, had a gun pulled on me in the first grade, saw tra- trauma. Uh, some of my classmates were sexually abused. So I dealt with all of this as a, as a six-year-old. And I'm saying that to say this. I had to go back and examine what my triggers were as it related to connecting with people or expressing my emotions or being, or fr- being free. So I, I tell people when they learn from what they've gone through, pain can be instructive if you unpack it or it can be destructive if you try to run from it. What you're doing and what I'm trying to do is is allow our circumstances to be instructive in nature so we can help those who may go through something. And now that we've got on the other side of it, we can actually help them become more self-regulating. So so, so there's nothing wrong with crying. I cry every day looking at stuff if I'm happy or if I'm sad. But I live where I live. So that's that's what I wanted to leave you with, with that point that you brought up. There was something I want to circle back to where you said sticks and stones may not break your bones and words never hurt me that words are something that I've, through this podcast, it wasn't something I knew or I was insightful on before all this, but uh, have you been to the Martin Luther King Memorial? Yes, I have, in D.C., yes. There's probably, I don't know, 25 different quotes that are memorialized on the wall that are words. And those words, 
it's it's amazing how many of those quotes are exactly what society needs like in every facebook feed in every minute of every day because those words were said 45 years ago or 50 years ago and they're still able to impact and when you read them you're like whoa and i realized when you get the gift of words like words are like one thing that i've realized through podcasting and conversations is one of my gifts is i help put words to emotions that people couldn't help feel so there's lots of times the deep emotions that people are really feeling a certain way but they don't even know how to put words to it and i'll tell a story one story that i tell often is uh i didn't have a lot of friends five years ago and after telling this story, a dad came up to me in tears before he even said hello, because I put words to a feeling that he wasn't acknowledging. And to me, like words are, I mean, even if you go to the Lincoln Memorial, there's words from the Civil War there that have transcended time. And it's just a couple paragraphs. So to me, like, and most childhood traumas and therapy sessions today are based on words and affirmations that parents did negatively or positively and put these limiting beliefs using words into kids lives that words have the ability to trap people because they almost people hear what they hear and then once the brain hears it they apply truth to it and they has the like that's one thing i love about podcasting public speaking is that when you can gift someone the gift of words to understand a situation that they haven't been able to get through you gift them the gift of feeling something that has been unfelt for so long. And I, more every day I, I've confirmed this, that the, the feelings, the words, the emotions, that these are the ones things that veterans need because there's so many deep emotions that you almost just need people out there giving words to those feelings so that they can take those steps to start feeling what they need to feel. So what I would say to that profound statement is this. You nailed it. You nailed it because when you when you look at when you look at what's going on, we have what you just said is some people don't have the ability to articulate or to illuminate what they're going through. So what happens is they take they start to speak within their own head, and they and so it, what what you're saying to yourself, depression in many cases is anger turned inwardly or guilt turned inwardly. So you're having an internal conversation and you're telling yourself yourself stuff that's wrong because no matter what you went through, you got through it. But you see yourself as lacking something at a deficit or you won't be understood or accepted. I tell people when I talk to them, there's nothing you can tell me about what you went through to make me care about you less or, or condescend or look at you in a lesser uh, of fashion. So I'm saying, why are you saying that to yourself? So a lot of times what you're doing and what I'm trying to do is give people, I tell people, I put it this way, in life, you can't address what you haven't acknowledged. Our job, the platform that you have, is to help people acknowledge what's going on, right, wrong, and different, put a meaning to it, put context to it, and then move on from it. But if you keep stuff internalized, and you keep suffering, you've, you've demonstrated you don't have the ability to address it. So allow someone, see, self-care is not weakness. Self-care is actually wisdom on display. So to the veterans that's listening to this, I encourage you to speak out or, or find forms where you, like this, one that you're, that you're talking to with Ben, find these forms that's going to remind you that you realize for some of you, the worst thing that's ever going to happen to you in your life, you got through it. You got through it. 
So now let's not keep staying in that place. There are certain things, we say stuff that doesn't make sense. For example, forgive and forget. You cannot forget. The only way you can actually forget something is if you lose your memory. So it's, it's actually to forgive and to move on. Or if you had a loss in your life, you can't forget about losing someone or having a circumstance, but you can learn to live through that circumstance. So I don't tell you to forget what happened. I tell you to learn from what happened and you honor those who you might have lost as combat buddies or people in your life. You honor them by living a full life. That's how we win. And right there, that last sentence, you hit on something that I tell dads all the time, that many dads get hung up on the question of why my best friend died and I got to live. And I, and that's a very tragic thing. It's a loss. It's a feeling. But you don't forget that. You don't just numb that feeling. That feeling is going to be there. But let that scar, as it heals up and no longer becomes a wound and becomes a scar on your arm, every time you look at that, your arm and see that scar of that loss, remind yourself that there's a dad out there that didn't come home. And you need to live a life worthy of that sacrifice and figure out how his death, his friendship, that he, whatever impact he was on your life, figure out how you can make sure that he keeps going on living, either through a lesson by teaching you and your kids, continuing to repeat his name, tell a story with him, that this is the best way we end up serving the people that didn't come home, is by continuing to try to live up to that sacrifice and create a life worthy of the gift that they gave us. Ben, I, I will tell you this. You, you, you are, you are your platform. I am so honored to be a part of this, uh, to, to communicate with you because, because what you just gave people is the key to unlock the rest of their lives. You honor them by not dwelling because, because the people that we're, we're grieving over, if they could come back and talk to us, they would say, live your life, man. They probably wouldn't even talk to us. They'd slap us across the face for spending 10 seconds. They would slap the crap out of us and say, come on, man. It's okay if you cry. It's okay if you you feel like screaming for a minute. Get it out. But once you get it out, you move. That's how we do this. And, And again, that's why I tell the story about when I was five, I was going through chemotherapy for six months, and I saw death in front of me. had a gun pulled on me. And I saw people ask me about what I saw in combat. I said, I saw more growing up in my neighborhood than I did in combat. And the only way that I can have a discussion with someone like you is that people helped me. I received the help. I did the work. And now I'm paying it forward through platforms like yours. So, Ben, you are doing a you are doing work. And, I, and my prayer for you and your platform is that more people come and hear you because you're not just pontificating about theory. You're giving people things that they can apply through stories, through anecdotes, through testimonies. Because the test eventually turns to a testimony. So we got to be ready for the pop quiz. And when you and if you fail the pop quiz, there are forums like this that's going to remind people, okay, let's look at the, the questions we got wrong, whether it's our finance, whether it's our relationship, whether it's patient with our kids, whether it's patient with ourselves. And the next time the pop quiz, because it's going to come, we're going to do better. So I thank you for what you're doing because this is, this, is, this is money right here. This is money in the bank to someone who thinks they're lost. You're not lost. You're not alone. And there's people out there that don't understand you. The thing I'll, I'll say right here real quick is when you look at PTSD and trauma, people want to say, well, you don't understand. You weren't in combat. You don't understand. You didn't see this. What people need to understand is what caused you, the brain's physiology, body's response to stress, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what the stimulus is. It doesn't matter whether it's a car accident or you were abused or you saw something. 
the body's response is the same way. So we're just trying to teach you to respond and not trying to compare who went through more. We're saying now that we went through whatever we went through, how do we unpack? And that's what you're doing for a lot of us, my friend. I'll tell you a quick story that, um, so I get a few stories, maybe one a month of someone that listened to the podcast and was really impacted. And there was one in November, I did a 20 minute episode on emotions. It was pretty much all emotions, 20 minutes. And it was only me talking. And I didn't consider it that deep, but nevertheless, I did it. And a Vietnam veteran emailed me a five paragraph email. And essentially the crux is that if, if he would have had that episode 30 years ago after Vietnam, he would have been a better dad. And that was just 20 minutes of me talking about emotions. And I was like, oh man, like that's the, that's the impact of what this podcast is able to do out there for fathers because it happens every day. Hurry up. And just a few more. Like what number? Ten. Okay. Close the door. What? Now, what line? Can I, I do the other rubbish? It's the only one in there. Just leave it there. Why? Because. We didn't do it. I'm not loud. Okay. Hurry up and get your gloves done. When are you done? Almost ten minutes. Ten minutes. That those uh those just small little anecdotes of me talking and gifting that gift, like that was something that, and maybe thirty two years too late, but he still has kids that now get to, hopefully maybe have a stronger dad, and he's already kind of taken some steps. He's got a little book that he's written, but those little things that like that I do on here, I. I Part, part of podcasting is you do it, but you don't ever really know the impact you're making. Some people reach out like he did, but a lot of people don't ever share the impact that the podcast has on them. I, it, it's, a, it's a humble and honored journey to, to do what I do on here. Well, well, I'm honored to be associated with you. Now, I just want to remind you something. It's never big stuff that makes a significant difference. It's that one little piece of information. It's that one gesture. It's that one person actually paying attention and being dialed in. You know, we, we used to say stuff in the military formation. You used to a flight report. They say all present and accounted for. Well, if there's all present and accounted for, then they can be present and unaccounted for. And many times in this life and with social media and all this technology, we could actually be talking to somebody and be totally distracted. And what I tell people is when you fell in love with your wife and you had children, it's because you created a moment. What great people do, you talked about when you have an emotion, it actually attaches you to something that happened before that you haven't experienced dealing with. That's why you put a meaning to it. Well, if we can actually help people create the right feelings and understand their meanings by being present, simply present. I watch how you engage with your children when they come in. You stop what you're doing, you give the attention, and then you help them assign meaning to what they're doing, and then you give them a task, and then they keep rolling. That's what we have to do. We have to help people, one, acknowledge what's going on, be present with them, and let them know through their process, we're going to be present with them throughout this thing. And that's what your platform is doing. So I want to encourage you, you know, even though you see it's, it's small, you actually have that master key to help somebody say, wow, it's okay to cry. It's okay to say that I don't have the answer. 
it's okay to understand that I'm not the only one in the community that's going through some of these things in a crisis. And I'm going to tell you like this. When I teach people about crisis management, the first thing I tell people is all a crisis is, is information. Crisis equals information. It could be good stuff. We got a promotion. We got a baby. We bought a house. You know, we got a raise. I got all these people working for me. I started a podcast. Or it could be there's a, there's a pandemic going on. We're not working. When you tell, when you help people understand all a crisis is information, what is the information telling you? What access do you have to other information to make the right decisions? How do you process it? And when I tell people, you're just in a crisis. Oh, okay, yeah. So what do we do about it? How do you feel about it? What options do you have? That's all a crisis is. And what you're providing is a public service and giving people information so they can unpack their crisis. I appreciate that. And to top it off with the cherry and Frozen 2, which I've watched probably 10 times now uh, since it came out on Disney Plus over the weekend, is just take the next right step. That's the step to getting in your future. And when the future is unclear, the next right step is the only thing you, you can do. And that's often where you can go from crisis to clarity. I often maybe describe it is like when you're, when you're standing still in that crisis, a fog sets in and you can't actually see anything around you. But the crazy part happens is you just take the simple step and the fog starts lifting. And that's a lot of what people are feeling. Almost done, Lynn. Can you go outside and wait a few minutes? Okay, well, we'll talk about it in a few minutes, okay? Okay. And that is just, it's all exactly what we're supposed to be doing. And it's the parts that where our mind, our 30,000-year-old brain gets all messed up. But it's as simple as just taking action sometimes. Well, again, to, to, like you said, to put a bow on this, you hit it on the head. Remember, information minus application equals informed. We have enough information to take the next right step. What's the next right step? It could be making a phone call, checking on somebody. It could be asking for help. It could be watching your podcast and taking notes on things that they can do, assessing what's around. What do I have? What do I need? What can I provide? Information plus application equals transform. Apply what you know. I'm not going to hold you accountable for what you don't know. So I'm going to hold you accountable for what you know. You know how to take a breath. You know how to take a step back and regroup. You know how to speak with kindness. You know how to extend dignity to other people. You know how to forgive yourself for making a mistake. You know how to live and honor those who may have perceived us in a tragic situation. So apply that and take the next right step to coin the phrase of what you just said. I love that. If you could wrap up everything and give a gift to the military veteran dad out there for something that would help him come home, what's one of your best pieces of advice for people that help dads reconnect with their families? Oh, the first thing I would tell you, when I do my presentations, if anyone wants to see what we do on resilience, you can go to www.brinksresiliencetraining.com, B-R-I-N-K-S-R-E-S-I-L-I-E-N-C.com, brinksresiliencetraining.com. I've written a couple of books on this stuff. But what I'm trying to tell you is I, I put a picture in one of my presentations where a person's getting off a plane and they got their hands out embracing their child as they're jumping into their arm. And what happens is a lot of our people come back, whether you deployed or not, but you've, been, you've had a military experience and you've seen some things. So when you go back home, you physically got back home, but your job then and my job is to get people all the way back home, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. So that so the first thing is 
Acknowledge that you've experienced some things. Acknowledge that you've witnessed some things. Acknowledge that the people that you're with, they care about you, but they want you all the way back, meaning that you're going to have to get vulnerable. Intimacy, into me, see. That's what intimacy is all about. So you have to let yourself become vulnerable to an extent so you can connect on a more emotional level. So you say, listen, I might not have the answers to all of this. I feel a little uncertain, but I know that we can work this out together. So acknowledge what you've gone through. Acknowledge that it's going to take a moment to transition. Acknowledge that you may have to get a little bit vulnerable. Acknowledge the information that you have and collectively with the people in your life, whether you have to do it over a phone or you live in the same domicile, hey, how can we walk this out? And you make a plan. Okay, the plan is I'm going to call you on a daily basis. I'm going to send you a text. I'm going to send you a piece of encouragement. We're going to listen to Ben's show together, and then we're going to talk about what he talked about. And then the stuff that we don't know, we're not going to judge each other, and we're, and we're going to honor each other through that. And when you do that, normalcy is going to start to return. The last thing I'll leave you with is purpose. Ben, the reason that you do what you do and why I do what I do is because we have purpose. See, the thing that bothers you the most is where your purpose is connected. The reason that you want to help veterans is because you were one. The reason that you want to be connected is because you know that there's a need. So I would just tell people, find a purpose through your pain. And when your purpose outweighs your pain, you will always find a connection. When your purpose outweighs your predicament, you will take the next right step. You will take the next affirmative step. So look for purpose and be vulnerable, connect, and keep listening to Ben's show because he's helping people. So I'm glad I connected with him. So that's what I would tell you. I'll give you, I don't know if you've ever heard this term, but I was having an interview with the Navy SEAL and it just kind of popped in my head that when you're coming back home to your wife and your, and your spouse, that building an empathy bridge of like understanding that you're both at two different parts and building a bridge to actually be able to cross and meet each other at the middle. Because oftentimes I feel like when people come home, they're, they're missing each other because they've lived life in two different paces and you need to build a bridge to actually of empathy to understand what life was like while both were gone. And that empathy bridge can be a perfect way to understand and empathize with what life was like while you were gone at home and what was life was like when you were separated from family, that they both have their own value, but you have to build a bridge in the middle to meet. You can't just kind of like pull one person or one person to the other at a certain stage. I think that's beautiful. And I thank you for that. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to actually incorporate that makes a lot of sense. So, Hey Ben, we, we, we need to continue this conversation. So anytime you want to do this, because I have a myriad of subjects that we can talk about and I'm actually learning from you. So I'm a little selfish and obviously <laughs> I can do that by continuing to watch your podcast. But um, again, this has been amazing for me and I, I, to all the veterans out there, Hey man, what you're going through is bigger than you and it's bigger than me, but it's not bigger than you and me. Agreed. And that we can get it through it together and I say it often that for 10,000 years, men survived in tribes. And it's only the last 200 that we thought we could do it alone. And whether it be a pandemic, life, family crisis, we did life in tribes for a reason because we were never meant to carry everything that life gave us alone. Great. Well, hey, anything else for me? No, that was it. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. And I'm looking forward to because I believe this is a, the beginning of a really great friendship. And I'm excited to see where it grows. and just see what we can help create in the universe. And I really appreciate for your time this morning. And I know we brought a few dads home today. That's a wrap. And thank you for listening to today's show. And I really hope you enjoyed it. 
the lifeblood of any new podcast are the reviews. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet on iTunes, I would really appreciate it, and you will help us get the message out to even more military veteran dads. As John Maxwell says, if there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. Dads, it's time to come home. <laughs>